0: To The Key to Kerouin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. The Key to Kerouin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Kerouin, Chapter 5, Progression. There was nothing I could do about her. I had never had much authority when it came to her. Nor with her brother, except that one time when I had gained the upper hand. Her presence was concerning, but really, what could she do? Here? Now? Nothing. She is a child's imaginary friend, a simple irritant. No things would progress as I allowed them to, and no further. As I said, sometimes a little of her sort can do more harm than good. All I needed to do was to restage the thing, change the setting, make some new inroads after she had altered my path. I would begin to work on the woman and the man with her. I set about my business line by line, point by point, easily done, but the details of the thing could not be missed, not again. Perhaps I cannot see the future, but I can fashion one. Humans can't see it. The craftsmanship that goes into creating a plan. That is all anyone does where I come from. Comb over the details again and again. Lining up the pattern. Weaving the threads. One by tedious one. So repetitious. Claustrophobically nearsighted. The colors of the thing. The sense imbued in it. The textures so many variables all in one plan. It is an art. It is a science. It is a creation, and yet for you, it is like looking at a picture from far away. You cannot see the brush strokes, nor do you note the meticulous blending of the colors to make just the right tone and shade and texture. You see none of the craftsmanship of the thing. You give no credit where credit is due. VEXING! Remaking the future is a slow process. Laying brick by laborious brick in place and making certain none of them crumble. Mixing the mortar in just the right blend and cementing them in place. Yes, these things take time. Let me paint you the fresh portrait. A new job, a reluctant move, an old house, friends lost, uncertainty, loneliness, stress, fatigue, boxes everywhere, the smell of time long settled now stirred again musty, things dormant, awoken. Geriatric stagnant shadows creaking in protest as they are, forced to life once again, darkness hanging over all with the moon in the blackened window and the endless shriek of birds high in the trees far above the house. The scene calls to mind a single light that flickers and is snuffed out by a scheming breeze in a closed space. Music in an echoing room. The smell of decaying shiplap in an ancient basement. The chill one walks through in the middle of the house. The static from a television in a darkened room. A monster. That haunts your dreams, stalking you in the dark, perhaps reaching from under your bed. Yes, it might have been all of these things. And over all of this, a baby cries in the night. Born, yes, and I had a hand in that too. Something is not quite right, but what exactly? I watch, I wait to see what will become, never knowing. And always she is there. Always she speaks with the girl, and only the girl. The infant grows, little by slowly, so slowly. A scene. The infant in a swing, orange and blue, gaudy colors in the dusty light of this world. Tick, 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 as the mechanized swing unwinds with each arc. The girl underneath it on the floor looking up, the infant laughing each time the motion of the swing reveals to it the girl's face and a quickly said, boo. Shadows creep into the room through the windows as the sun drops out of the sky, light melting across every surface, sticky to the touch, imbued with some false sense of sweetness that cannot be real and leaves instead a bitter taste in the back of the throat. Supper time, the woman calls into the room. She is colorless now. No pinks yellows or blues, those colors faded and washed out with the coming of the infant. She is not yet shabby, merely much more worn. She is clothing, hung out on a line and forgotten, stiffened and washed out. The girl moves into the kitchen and the boy follows slowly, reluctantly. Why are we eating so late? the boy grumbles. He is wary now, calculating. Always watching from the shadows, mostly he is silent. He gathers his food onto his plate and moves to sit at the dining table. A dining table in name only. It is an old servant's eating area, a cubicle in the wall, a table and two benches built in. They never eat in the real dining room with the large table and the comfortable chairs, the room glowing red in the melty light, cloying and heavy as blood-soaked cloth. One cannot breathe properly there. Curious, the boy slides to the far recesses of the bench, finding its crooks and shadows and sinks into them. I was waiting for Dad to get home, but we can't wait for him any longer. The woman replies with a weary sigh. He's never home for supper. We shouldn't bother waiting any more. A pronouncement from the boy in the shadows. He's working hard at his new job. The woman responds. Maybe, but we never see him any more. The girl adds quietly sitting sideways at the edge of the bench, her feet dangling into the light of the kitchen. A quick escape route, lest the crypt tries to swallow her whole. I know, the woman replies, listless, almost disinterestedly. A silent meal punctuated by the clank of cutlery. Averted eyes frowns thrown a push and a slide dishes dropped into a ceramic sink with no thought given to the washing of them i'm going to bed as soon as the baby is asleep the woman says you two get yourselves to bed on time a short time later the woman and infant disappear up the stairs the boy retreats to his room The girl sits uncomfortably in a chair much too large for her, trying to watch the glowing noisy box, mangled figures and reverberating sounds, television. I hear only static and see only the flickering of blanched colors in it, a creak and a groan. A shadow flickers, a clawing of a branch on the window. The girl glances about uneasily. She pulls a small creature closer to her. It licks her chin and paws at her hand. A pet dog, hair like shavings of soap, nose like wet suede, a heart like a small Tightly wound clock. It moves in fits and starts. The girl looks around again. She gets up, goes to turn off the television, and makes her way upstairs, clutching the dog tightly. The girl pauses at the door to the woman's bedroom and looks down to the floor. The crack under the door is large and Dark and empty chasm. The girl bites her lip and moves on. She stops at the door to the boy's room. There is light seeping out from under the door. The girl raises her hand to the doorknob, hesitates, then lets her hand fall to her side. She turns and takes the dog to her room. Its tongue lolls. it is content simply to be with the girl, heedless of the shadows that scamper about it. The girl moves past her bed, grabbing for a toy set by the pillow. A half-sized door is set in the side of the room, hidden among the colors of the fading paper that covers the wall. The girl opens the door and crawls through. Inside is a child's table, a single chair, and a lone lamp without a shade. The girl sets down the dog. It pads further into the recesses of the crawl space, snuffling at the items lining the walls. Toys, drawings, fabric, string, marbles, and other such futile distractions. The girl flicks on the lamp and closes the door, shutting herself into an incongruous shelter, safe from the sounds and the shadows of the house. Then she is there, sitting at the table across from the girl, watching the girl as she holds her toy close and scratches, wax sticks along an empty paper. "'Who is your friend?' she asks, studying the toy in the girl's clutches. The girl holds up a ragged form of a girl, a mass of fabrics in flesh and red, white threads of hair sewn tightly to its head and painted eyes of unseeing green. A doll. "'This is the Fairy Queen,' The girl announces, "Hm," she replies. She takes the proffered doll, gives it a cursory glance, and sets it on the floor behind her chair. She turns back to the girl, what are you drawing? She asks, a glance and a smile then, a horse. This is Chandelier, she's a unicorn too. She always comes when I call her, and she does anything I tell her to. She lives with the fairies in their magical forest. Really? A nod, and more enthusiastic scribbling. A loud thump, a head jolting up, a quick glance back, and a turn. Will you tell me more of the story? The girl asks tightly. If you wish, where was I? She offers. The girl was still here. Was Agnor punished? Will the girl ever get home? Agnor was punished, yes. He went boldly to King Cadran after taking the servant girl. He tried to strike a bargain with the king. Agnor would tell the king where to find the girl if the king would go to the human world and serve the people, as he had ordered Agnor to do, leaving Agnor to rule Kerwin in the king's absence. The king didn't do it, did he? The girl asked, making a face. No, he did not. The king grew angry in the face of Angnor's impudence and pride. He had his guards take Angnor to the door between the worlds where the king ordered Angnor to be exiled to the human world and the door between the worlds shut. Angnor was to face the same fate as that of the servant girl. The king sincerely hoped that Angnor would learn from his mistake and bring the girl back. But didn't the king care about getting the girl back? A mouse twisted, eyes the color of mistrust. Of course, she exclaimed. He was very sad that she was gone. However, if the king had been able to ask the girl what choice he should make... The king knew the girl would have had him do exactly as he had done. You see, the girl was brave and strong and noble, and that was why the king loved her so much. Yeah, maybe. Did Egnor get her and bring her back? No. His heart hardened, and darkness found him. So that's where the bad comes from? Another quick glance at the small door. Yes, Agnor did not learn from his punishment, nor did he learn from the humans. He did not heed them, not their strength, nor their courage, nor their honesty. He sank deeper into his anger and bitterness, then set out to destroy those parts of the world that reminded him of what he was meant to be. Those things he was meant to serve and foster. Now Angnor walks among you. He stirs up discontent and villainy wherever he goes, sowing seeds of hatred for one another and trying to destroy his own punishment. Perfalsum, Fidem intrepidus. But what about the girl? Will she ever get home? Perhaps, there is yet a chance. A barking call, a grab of the dog, a flick of the light, and a bolt from the clandestine meeting. A hurried whisper of, Come back later. And a hasty closing of the door. Foolish stories. Idle nonsense. Listening to Key to Carwin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carwin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.